kind of going through uh, really an understanding of, of five things that God uses to grow us in our faith. And last week we talked about uh, one of the things that God uses is practical teaching that, uh, that allows us to see what those scriptures have to say and not only see that but learn to apply it in our lives. And that goes along with a question. And that question is, what would you do to have a lasting faith? What would you do to have a faith that grows, one that, that not only through the high points of life, but in the low points of life, that faith is, is growing and it's lasting and it helps you to continue on even when it feels like everything is going wrong. What would you do to have that kind of a faith? In church, we throw around a, a few words, and sometimes depending on your tradition or how long you've been in church or, or those kinds of things, when we hear the words, we're like, I'm not sure if I really like that word. Um, and sometimes the words that we use need a little bit of an unpacking, a little bit of sifting through. And, and there are a couple of words today that we're going to talk about. Um, they're, they're D words, and we use them often, and those words are discipleship and discipline. Discipleship and discipline. And I believe that both of those words are very closely, closely related. And, and you could honestly make a case, you could argue that both of them depend on the other and they partly describe the other. So discipleship and discipline. Today we're talking about just really one of those words. We're talking about discipline. And disciplines are those things that you know are important. Disciplines are, are those things that, that you know that are important, but you sometimes struggle to do. A discipline like getting up early. Like going to bed earlier. That discipline of saying no to that second piece of cake, right? That eating healthier, trading a, a bag of chips for maybe a carrot. Listen, I've been told that's a good substitute. I'm not sure about that one. Exercising more. What about, what about this discipline? Saving more. Spending less. Engaging in your budget a little bit better. What about this discipline now? Spending more time one-on-one -on -one with your kids, with your spouse, and all the while with all these disciplines that you're, you're engaging in, finding that time for yourself. But here's what I think about, uh, about discipline in, in general when it comes to our faith in God is that we can spend weeks looking at a number of things. We could have a list pretty long of the disciplines that we have identified over the years and through the scriptures that, that we've identified really help us to grow in our faith. And here's the thing, we start stacking up those disciplines and we start talking about them and unpacking them and telling you about how you should practice them. Here's what will happen. You're going to begin to feel absolutely horrible. No matter how disciplined you are, there's always more that you can do. There's always more disciplined that you can be. And there's always someone that's a little bit further along than you, than you are. And I'm not sure when we talk about discipline where, where things kind of hit on the offensive side for, for you, you know. Um, 
but I, I think there's going to be some things that you kind of nod along with today. And you say, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that that's good. And I think that's absolutely so good that someone else should be doing that. One of the interesting things about disciplines is that over time, a discipline, a discipline, it, be, it, it, it presents as a, a pleasant habit, okay? Uh, it could be that uh, over time, we just have this discipline, a hobby. It just kind of turns into a hobby. We, we, we started doing it, and, it and it really just became something that we do on the side. Or, or sometimes our disciplines become ha- obsessions or addictions. Um, any runners or cyclists in here? Okay. Runners, cyclists. Here's the thing. It starts out as kind of one of these things that, you know, they like to do. They're kind of, kind of doing it, and then they just have to do it. And you know that it gets really bad, especially if you become a cyclist, because you put on that uniform, right, and those funny shoes that you can't really walk in. And I think for all of us, we're probably glad that I'm not a cyclist, right? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, a lot of times the things that we start engaging in, they're, they're kind of hobbies, but then they become a little bit more of an obsession. There's something that we really want to do. It's a discipline. And sometimes those disciplines that are just kind of really hobbies are like musicians. Uh, you you uh, decide that you're going to, to practice and you're going to learn how to do uh, play an instrument or sing. For me in college, it was this. I, I, I picked up a guitar. I was in Christian college. I had an acoustic guitar. Bring on the girls, right? It's kind of how that works. Uh, it didn't work for me. But that's fine. It's fine. Because here's the deal. I didn't put in the practice. I didn't put in the work. I just thought it would look cool to be a youth, pa- youth pastor that had an acoustic guitar. Mm, didn't work out too well for me in that a- arena. But here's the thing. As we develop disciplines, as we work through a lot of the things that, that we kind of pick up as a hobby or it just sounds like it's something neat, you know. For some of us, we put a lot of practice into something and we find out that our worship team doesn't need a tuba. But piano and guitar, they kind of become a, a hobby and they're just things that we enjoy, things that we take with us over the course of our life. But here's something else about discipline. Sometimes a discipline becomes, it leads us to freedom. It leads us to, to having a freedom that we didn't think that we were going to have. Discipline in our finances and, and in our life, it, it leads to freedom later in our life. So in essence, disciplines, disciplines are about delayed gratification. If you do this now, you can enjoy things later. Think about studying, right? If I study now, I can enjoy passing a test later. If I read the material now, I'll know it for a test later. I'm giving the youth group some hints over here that I don't think they're listening. It's okay. But here's the thing. As we grow, our disciplines, they result in progress. We get one step closer. We get one step further from where we used to be. Discipline results in progress. And that progress eventually leads to freedom. And that freedom is a positive feeling. It wells up inside and we have this satisfaction. And out of that becomes some beneficial results that spill out into our personal lives, into the lives of others. Discipline results in having something to show for it later. 
sometimes, sometimes discipline is doing what I am supposed to do, even though I really don't want to. And we're talking about this because discipline is one thing that God uses to grow our faith. And like I said, this is, uh, this is one of the five that we're talking about last week is practical teaching. We talked about if we are to grow in our faith, we need to be in an environment where the Bible is taught and not only taught, but is given to us in such a way that we have an opportunity to, to apply it practically in our lives. That it's not just uh, uh, something that we just take in and do nothing with. That it's a practical application of what God's word has to say and how that moves me through life and how that helps me to engage in a life worth living and growing in my faith. We talked about it in in such a way that, remember we talked about um, there are some things that you've got to do. You've got to do to exercise your faith muscles. If you don't exercise your faith muscles, they'll begin to atrophy and they won't be useful for much. And we refer to the disciplines, we refer to them, uh, these things that we do as spiritual disciplines. And today I, w- I want to give you two. And these come from observation, they come from experience, just as much as they come from the scriptures. The problem, though, with giving you a list, the problem with giving you a list is that it's go- this list is going to elicit a few emotions for you. Namely, Disgust. Because when we start talking about what we're going, we're going to engage in, you're going to, you're going to say, you know what, that's exactly what I expected from a preacher. But I want you to understand that when we start talking about disciplines in our lives, that it's not guilt. You, you may think it's guilt. That there, there's somehow this feeling of guilt that comes over you. But it's not guilt. It's regret. What comes over you is this feeling of regret that you had not been disciplined in these areas. So the two things, the two things we're going to talk about today, giving God the first minutes of your day and the first dollars of your income. These are the disciplines of prioritize your time, prioritize your money around God and his kingdom. Give God time and give God your money. Now, when people talk about their faith journey, when they talk about their faith journey, they'll begin to tell you their story. And their story, they'll usually begin talking about, you know, there was a time where I didn't know how to pray and I I finally learned how to pray really learned how to engage God in prayer. And they talk about learning to sit to sit time aside and to have a personal devotional time with God. What, when I was in youth group, they called it a quiet time, having this time that was quiet before the Lord. And it's basically carving out time in our day for God. And then if you listen long enough, people will continue to tell you it was about when I learned how to pray and prayer became a very significant part of my life, then eventually the, the conversation will move to money. And people learn over time how to give, how to be generous. Almost every person I've met has this, this kind of gut-wrenching, difficult problem with this discipline. And sometimes it is 
honestly out of discipline that they do so because it is not easy. The disciplines are where we begin to see, where we begin to see our faith begin to intersect with God's faithfulness. Our, our, our faith that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do intersects with his faithfulness that he actually does it. It's really, discipline is really supposed to do, it's supposed to do something. It's supposed to do, um, do a couple of things. And I, and I want to assure you right now that this isn't a giving servant sermon. This isn't about we're starting a capital campaign and I want you to empty your pockets as you walk out the door. But what I want you to hear today is that these disciplines, how we apply these private disciplines in our life, they have more to do with our faith than how it benefits anyone else. In the context of how, how it, it intersects in our own lives and what it has to do with anyone else. So when I talk about prayer life, I'm not talking about that kind of prayer life where it's, God, would you go, would you go do this for them? Would you intercede here? Would you give, give that person safe travel? Would you heal this person? God, God would, would you do this? Why don't you do that? Now, honestly, there's that type of prayer. There's that type of intercession. That's part of our faith. And that's part of prayer. But that's not what we're talking about today. Because when it comes when it comes to, to these types of ideas and discipline in our, our time, in our money, Americans generally tend to be a trigger response to these things. I only really give when I see a need. I only really pray when I see a need. I see a need, I'm going to give. I don't see a need, I'm not giving. So we're not talking about that type of relationship with money. We're not talking about that today. We're not, we're not really engaging in that. What we're doing, what we're looking at, what we're engaging is what does this discipline do for you? What does it not only do for you, but what does it do in you? What does engaging in these private disciplines do in growing your faith? It's so Big. It's so grand. It's, 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 we're looking at how to build, how to grow, how to engage in a faith that, that doesn't stay small. If the most significant growth you've had in your relationship with God came at the time where you knew for sure that you had been saved, and that was 20 years ago, we got some growing to do. We have some things that we need to really work into our lives. Private disciplines are a huge part of building our faith. If they are something that we have not developed, if, they, if there's something that we haven't really paid attention to, then we're going to have a really hard time with this subject. Because there are stories of people who, who, began, who began these things as, as a sheer discipline. I mean, it's really, I do it because I've been told I have to do it kind of a thing. It is a discipline. And that discipline over time became a lifestyle. And that lifestyle gave over to joy. And that joy turned in, I can't imagine a day 
without it. And if you're listening to this and you're, and you're in, a, in a place that you're going to say, you know what, I kind of disagree. kind of disagree that, that time and money are things that I need to really think about as in growing my faith. That's, that's fine. It's okay for you to disagree. But I want to encourage you to take a moment to take some time and really then look into the Bible and tell me what the Bible has to say about these things. I'd much rather have you wrestle with the scripture than I would have you wrestle with me. Because these disciplines, these disciplines are about learning how to strain, how to stretch, how to grow. In fact, that's how muscles are grown. They are strained and they are stretched. And then with some rest, they grow, they strain, they stretch, they rest, they grow. And it's one of those completely amazing things about our bodies. Our faith can be exercised in the same exact way. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6. And this is Jesus talking. And Jesus is, is helping us to understand a few things. And he, he starts out like this. He says, beware. Beware, uh, be, beware. Be careful. Beware of practicing your righteousness, that is your righteous acts, before other people. He says, be careful. Jesus is setting up a conversation for us, a discussion. And he's referencing those things that we do, those private disciplines. He says, beware of your motivations. Beware of your motivation for making a public or a private act public. Beware of what your motivation is in exercising something that's extremely personal in a corporate setting. He says, beware. Don't do it in order to be seen by others. We worship together. We all know that. We, we're in this room together. We stand, we sit, we pray, we sing, we raise our hands. And, and what is the motivation? What is the motivating uh, emphasis behind what we do? Who is it for? Am I engaging in these things so that I can be seen? Is it good for business? Is it good to keep mom off my back? Is it for others to think that I am more holy than I truly am? So we're asking this question, why? Why would they do it to be seen? Because these, these are private disciplines. They're private, and if you do them, if you practice them so that others may just see them, Jesus says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus connects private acts of righteousness, private acts of spiritual discipline with rewards later. Now, we may engage in some of these things publicly, but there's a private element to each one of them. In your heavenly Father, he sees it. He sees you and he rewards you. And he gives us the first one in a list of three. And we're only talking about two of them this morning. Because the third one can get a little convicting. And we'll reference it at the end and you can read about it on your own. And we'll pick it up at another time. He says this. He says, when you give. When you give to the needy. This 
this is a practice of, of almsgiving. And if you, if you recall, as, as they walked into the temple, oftentimes there would be people lined up before the entrance to the temple, and they would be asking for, for help. They'd be asking for alms, and, and they would be outside the gates. The beggars, the poor, they, the, the ones who are in need, physically unable to work, they would, they would be in need. And the people, as they came into the temple to worship, would give as they wished. But some, as they gave, as they wished, they made a spectacle of it. It was a public giving, and, and this, this giving that they gave was on top of the tithe. It was on, on top of the tithe because the tithe, a good Jewish person would know that the tithe is, is about 10 to 20% of their income. And that tithe would go to maintaining the temple and paying the priest and making sure that everything in our worship of God was orderly and able to be done. So they gave 10 to 20% of their money to the temple. And over time, they began to think of it as a tax. Just basically something that they had to do. But when he, Jesus was talking about giving to the needy, he said, sound no trumpet before you. Make sure that when you give, when you give above and beyond the things that you know that you should do, that your motivation isn't for the, the, the honor, for the glory, for others to see that you're doing it. It's not for the recognition of those who are around you. Make sure that you sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be praised by others. It says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says, when you give in that way, you give in such a way that you can be seen. You have already received your reward because you were honored by men. You were honored by them. They go, oh, look. Look how generous they are. They not only pulled their wallet out, they pulled out two bills and they put them right there. That's so good, so generous. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And some of you right now were thinking, I didn't actually know that was in the Bible. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That, that phrase, we're, we're kind of going, you know what, I actually don't even know what that means. What does that mean? He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. When others are giving for the fanfare, when others are giving for the recognition, when others are giving so that they will be made to look big, your actions, if you are to follow God and to love God in this area of your life, your actions are for a different purpose so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus connected reward with financial generosity. He doesn't tell us exactly what that reward is. In this context, we can see that part of that reward is honor. It's honor from God. But in the end, this is all about faith. It's not just about meeting the needs of the poor. 
this is Jesus is discussing it. It's about our faith and, and how our faith will grow. It's not about meeting the needs of the poor. It's not about focusing on that because there's other passages of Scripture that focus on this. It's about really asking that question, what if, what would happen if, if you're giving, if you, if you really believed that God saw your giving and that he rewarded it? What if Jesus saw how much you gave and how you gave it and how it impacted your financial world? What if, what if Jesus saw not only if it was a, just a kind of a passing thought, What if he saw that, that it was out of this idea that I, I want other people to see that I'm giving? What if he saw that you're giving? It was a sacrifice. What if God was honored? What if he is honored? Because you decided to give. And God, being honored, decided to reward you for it. We don't give so that we can get. That's never something that we teach. And that should not be the posture of our hearts is to give, to get. But one of the reasons that we are not generous, that we're not more generous with the things that we have is because we don't believe that Jesus sees it. We don't believe that our heart matters. So the issue is not money. The issue is our confidence and our faith in God. In the New Testament, Money is discussed almost always as a matter of faith. It's almost always discussed as this matter of, of faith about a belief, it becomes a belief in God issue. It's not about how much can be piled up. It's instead about what if you really believed that God saw? What if you really believed that God saw and that God rewarded? Because in the end, and you know this, in the end, you leave every bit of it here. When it comes to the end, you leave it all here. But here's the thing. We're happy to trust God for our eternity. We're happy to trust God for our eternity, trusting him 100% with what happens after we breathe our last breath. Sometimes it's as though we're trusting that just because we don't have another choice. We either trust God with our eternity or we don't. Jesus teaches in the New Testament that we tend to trust in money more than anything else. But if we can trust God with our eternity, if we can trust him with what happens after we breathe our last breath? If we believe that we can trust God with our eternity, he is invited to call us 
us to call him our father. He wants us to learn what does it look like to trust him. What does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to be taught by God how to trust him in every area of our lives? And not just later, not just with the last breath, not just looking forward to the very end, but what does it look like to trust God right now? Right now when the bills are due. Right now when things aren't going the way I think they should. What if you learned how to trust him with your money? What would change? Because in other places, Jesus would say, listen, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other. Money competes with our devotion to God. So in the end, money is really just a faith thing. It's a, if I trust in God, if I trust more in God then I trust in money, then, then I see myself moving closer in my discipline, my growth, and my faith. Money is a faith thing. It's a faith issue. But the great thing about money is that we have a choice. We can learn how to use it the way that God intends us to, to use it. We can learn how to be a giver, how to be a percentage giver. Because here's the way that God really tells us to handle our finances. He says, give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, and live on the rest. Giving is your first priority. And it's your way of saying, God, God, I trust you to make it up where those bills are coming due. But God, I'm going to give you back some of what you've already given me. Because, God, I trust you. I trust that if you can clothe the flowers in the field, that you can provide for the things that I have in my life. But there are some kind of things that we're going to talk about in a little bit that we have to really recognize when it comes to trusting God with our money. But when we give to God first, we're saying, God, I'm investing in your kingdom. I'm investing in you first because I'm not going to build my own. And it's kind of been this moment when, when you're standing and you're talking to a group of people about money that it gets a little tense. And it gets a little emotional. But I want to ask you why. Why when we talk about money and when we talk about our time, why does it get so tense? Because we trust in money. Because money represents security. The number, the amount of zeros that we have or the, just the distance away from zero means that we have security. But God says, listen, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to be conscious, conscious of where your security comes from. God says, I want to be that security for you. I want you to be, I want to be your source of trust, not just for what happens in your last breath. I want to be your source of trust now. 
But you have to wrestle this question to the ground. Will God take care of you if you put him first in your finances? So here's my caveat. Here's my, my justification right here of what does it look like when you give, save, and live? It means more than just tossing a couple of dollars to make yourself feel better as a, as a plate goes by or you see a need. It's about learning how to order your day and order your finances and order your budget in such a way that you truly say, God, I want you to be over I want to trust you in my spending habits. God, I, I want to learn how to trust you when I determine, is it better to eat the food that I have in my pantry or go out and spend three times that in a restaurant? God, God, would you help me to order my finances in such a way that it's a priority to me to use them wisely? to learn how to live on less than I make. To prioritize my budget in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Because your checkbook, your credit card statement, it shows a whole lot about what you believe. It shows a whole lot about what your priorities are. And if those lines, especially now that it's digital, right, you go and you kind of scroll through those lines, what do those lines say your priorities are? What do you see as the first transaction after you get paid? Is it that you wrote the check physically, because some of you love to do that? Or is it that you sent it digitally because you said, God, that money never belonged to me in the first place? How we view our money shows our priority. Because ultimately, it's a transfer of trust from money to God. Do we trust money or do we trust God? Do we transfer our trust from money to God? But thankfully for us, Jesus moved on. And he said, and when you pray. Now he's going to talk about not just simply praying, but he's talking about our time. He's talking about how we use our time because, because who's got time to give time to God or to devote time to God in prayer? Who, who has that kind of a time? I mean, think about how busy our days get and how they start. But Jesus says, hey, we're going to talk about this just for a little bit. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they've received their reward. Jesus connects praying with rewards from your heavenly father. These prayers that he's talking about aren't the stand up in a congregation and pray kind of prayers. These are not the as we go through our day driving down the road kind of prayers. Not as I see someone who is hurt in the moment kind of prayers. These are the get alone with God on purpose kind of prayers. 
the ones that sometimes it feels like we don't have time for. Because our life is so busy. You know, as soon as I wake up and that do not disturb falls off my phone, all of a sudden it's a text message, it's a notification. It's, it's oh my goodness, your day is about to begin or it already started without you. Do you know what time my kids get up? Do you know what you're asking when you say, give God the first part, first piece of your time? But here's the thing. Of all the things in life that we have, time is the one thing that we can't make more of. So Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. I want you to make your prayer purposeful. I want you to make your prayer intentional. Because your heavenly Father sees you pray. And your heavenly Father wants you to be intentional and personal in that prayer. He wants you to intentionally make time to be alone with him. So if you go in, you shut the door and you pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father sees in secret. God sees what is done in secret. He hears our prayers. He he knows what's at stake. God sees you. He hears you. He engages with you. If you will take the moment, the time, the opportunity to engage with him in personal, intimate prayer. What if you lived as though you believed that was essential to your faith? What if you lived in such a way that you believed that God took your secret prayers Seriously, Jesus says that your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And if you were to ask those people that said, when I finally learned how to pray, when I finally learned how to live, how to put all these things down in devotion to my heavenly father, when I, when I made this the, the habit of my mourning, the reward that I received wasn't that I got everything that I asked for. The reward I received was so much better than that. It was so much longer lasting. It was the quiet assurance that God, that God is with me. And this is a peace, a confidence, an assurance. And Jesus modeled this. He modeled this, this putting aside the first part of the day taking time to pray. In Mark 135, it says this about Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. He didn't have a house to go into, to go into the closet, so he went out away from his disciples. And there he prayed. He took time away from the busyness. He took time away from, from the beginning of the day, before the kids got up, before your spouse got up, whatever it is, before you jumped into prep mode. But for some of us, it means a pretty big drastic change. We have to get up earlier. And I'm just not a morning person. I have to maybe go to bed a little bit earlier, but that means I have to not watch that episode. One less episode to stream. I mean, man. But this is where we're going to land today. These are two things that you can choose. 
you can choose to be proactive in your time and your money. You can choose to be intentional with your time and your finances. This is a discipline that I believe will grow your faith. But see, the thing about disciplines is that they are not always immediately enjoyable. Because here's the thing, if you don't like waking up early in the morning and 15 minutes earlier sounds like you would rather, well, rather not, I just want to assure you that if you choose to do so, you may not pop out of bed and sing a hallelujah chorus. In fact, you'll probably have a pretty bad attitude. But the cool thing about disciplines is that they are beneficial even when your attitude is bad. If you give God a slice of your time and you give God a percentage of your money, you're expressing trust to him with your time and your money. And God uses that to grow your faith. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes on and he talks about fasting. And we're going to leave that for another day. But the bottom line today is this. God rewards what he sees us do in private. God rewards what he sees us do in private for him because they, those things grow our trust in him. So I have a challenge for you. For the next month, for the next 30 days, I would like for you to give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars. Go somewhere quiet, very first thing, and pray. And the cool thing about this is that God, in his wisdom, created uh, the, in the minds of people the opportunity to create a printing press that eventually became the opportunity for us to have this Bible that we can take with us anywhere we want. No longer do you have to have a whole backpack or trailer full of scrolls. It's all right here. Handy, portable, I can take it wherever I need to. Grab your Bible. Go to a quiet place. Get on your knees and pray to your Heavenly Father. Open His Word. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. That's wonderful. That's fine. We understand that. Open up to, the, to about the middle of your Bible and you'll find some Psalms. And in those Psalms, you'll find that they speak your very heart. And you will find that there is wisdom, there is grace, and there is love. So get up earlier. First thing, grab your Bible, get on your knees, pray, read your Bible. And I guarantee you that God, God will meet you there. And for the next 30 days, if you get a dollar, give a percentage of it. If 10% feels like too much, pick five. Pick three. Just become a percentage giver, not a needs-only giver, not a if-I-have-some-money-in-my-wallet kind of giver. Become a percentage giver. Give to God first from the very beginning of what you receive. Don't be the I'm-just-going-to-give-God-a-tip kind of giver. Make it a priority in your life. Remind yourself, remind yourself your faith and your confidence is in God. By giving God your first minutes and your first dollars. Give to God on the front end 
not when there's little or nothing left. In these disciplines, they will grow you, and you will benefit from it. And these disciplines, these disciplines, even though we kind of slog through them at the beginning, these disciplines eventually become a lifestyle. And that lifestyle grows into a joy, and that joy becomes something that you can't, absolutely can't live without. Would you pray with me?